You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Business Talk Show, Orange County's longest running business talk show. And I am your host, Rick Franzi. And man, do I have a good show planned for you today. Ron Stein, who is the author of his latest book, Clean Energy Exploitations, is here with me today. And Ron has been on our show previously. We were just talking about that many years ago when we first launched the program. Ron, Thanks for coming back and being a friend of the program. Rick, glad to be back. So I'm excited to talk to you about your book. You know, I held up the cover. It's very provocative. It might be a little hard for people to see. But what's on the cover is a soldier with an AK-47 who's overseeing the mining of minerals in one of the developing countries in the world. Can you explain to me why you and your co-author chose this book cover? Picture Rick, the, the, the subtitle of Clean Energy Exploitations, which is helping citizens understand the environmental and humanity abuses that support clean energy, says it all. And the photo illustrates how many Africans, Asians, South American children that have yellow skin, brown skin, black skin, are being enslaved and dying in mines and factories to extract and process the rare earth and exotic minerals required for solar panels, wind turbines, and electrical vehicle batteries. And we call these uh, blood minerals, just like Mm. blood diamonds. Mm -hmm. The same, you know, countries that they're mining for these materials uh, with virtually non-existent environmental regulations. So wealthy nations can decarbonize and move to an all electric society. The lack of oversight and the lack of transparency inflicts human atrocities and environmental degradation to their local communities uh, that are beyond comprehension. So it's a provocative photo, but it's an actual photo is what you're saying. It's an actual photo from Africa, yes. This is how these... Now, why aren't these rare earth minerals mined in other parts of the world, like in the developed nations, Ron? They're, well, primarily regulations. Uh, you're not going to get a mining permit in the United States. Uh, the labor costs are huge. The environmental regulations are huge. So it's more cost effective to do it in developing countries that, uh, you know, have no labor laws and very cheap labor, a lot of times slave labor. But, you know, just for the opportunity to generate intermittent electricity that's dependent on breezes and sunshine, and to drive cars with large batteries, these EV batteries are huge, the wealthy and healthier countries like Germany, Australia, Britain, America, we're exploiting those in developing countries, again, with uh, different colored skins. China, India, Indonesia, Japan, Vietnam, Africa, they represent at least, uh, representative of at least 80% of humanity that's living on less than $10 a day. And Rick, that's more than 6 billion people. And billions of those people have little to no access to electricity. All while the wealthy countries are pursuing the most expensive ways to generate intermittent electricity. The poor and the less healthy countries like China, India, and Africa, they're desperate uh, in need of affordable, reliable, and continuous uninterruptible electricity 
for their billions of residents and they're using coal. You know, how, how dare we in the healthy and wealthy countries insist that we should limit the poor country's future access to fossil fuels. You know, cheap, reliable, accessible power and the products that we get from fossil fuels, they're life-saving mm. and one of the best ways out of poverty. We can easily observe already what the world's poorest countries see, what lifestyles are like without the medical products, without the thousands of other products we get from oil derivatives from crude oil that benefit the richer countries. In those poor countries, there's 11 million children in the world dying every year. And those fatalities are all from preventable causes, diarrhea, malaria, diphtheria, pneumonia, and you know, lack of oxygen at birth. Those developing countries have no or minimal access to the products from the oil derivatives enjoyed by the wealthy and the healthy countries. So it, it, the point that you're making here on our program today and that you and your co-author make in the book uh, is th this the unintended or at least the unseen or thought about consequences of what feels like um, initiatives that are appropriate in the developed world. One being uh, going green and two combating climate change. And so what it sounds like based on the headline in the book and how you're talking and the research that you've done in your book is there, there needs to be a realization in the developed countries of the impact of these initiatives globally based on how it's being mined and developed in third world countries. Is that correct? Exactly. We're, we're trying to make it transparent because you've heard that, you know, Biden's going to boycott the China Olympics uh, because of their you know, labor practices, but hypocritically, He's all for importing all the exotic minerals and metals so we can achieve his green goals. And they're the same labor atrocities. He should boycott the minerals and metals coming from China. So you're, you're making the point that countries like, you make the point in the book, like countries like Germany and Australia, and then also right here home, our own home state in California, who have made green and climate change a priority also have the result is that they have some of the highest electricity costs costs. So I'm wondering if you could take the audience through the link between the two green energy and then the associated energy costs that come along with that. Yes. Germany was the first country to make the futile attempt to go green decarbonize and have zero emissions by an identified date. And now they have the highest cost of electricity in the world. Australia followed with their fanciful road to economic ruin and destruction by putting their faith in sunshine and breezes for the generation of intermittent electricity. Um, and they're keeping up with Germany's uh, you know, quest for carbon-free society. Instead, they rely on continuous backup from other electrical generators, such as coal, natural gas, or nuclear, to provide the uninterruptible service that they cannot provide. And through wind and solar facilities, the wind and solar facilities don't pay for it, but the ratepayers are paying for this redundancy. California has and continues to shut our natural gas power plants nuclear power plants who shut down one, another one's coming down in a couple of years at Diablo Canyon. And they've been providing continuous uninterruptible electricity and they're incapable of it, 
the state is incapable of generating enough in-state power for our own needs. Last year, we had to import 32% of our- Motion detected at your front door. Sorry about that. I have obviously someone at my front door, Ron. <laughs> okay. We, the, last year, we had to import 32% of our electricity from the Northwest and the Southwest because we couldn't get generate enough in-state. And with no wind and solar power plants proposed to take up the loss of these shuttered power plants, uh, we basically are hoping the Northwest and the Southwest are going to be able to provide the power we need. If not, there's going to be shortages and increased inflation from importing expensive electricity. Are these, is this uh, cost increase a temporary result of an emerging technology? Or do you see it that even at scale, what you refer to as intermittent energy, solar, battery, aren't capable in today's with today's technologies of fully replacing the current electrical grid system that's in place in many of these places? It's a combination of two things. One is uh, you have a redundant system because the continuous power plants are not going away. And then you have, you're building wind or solar farms. They take money, they take a lot of subsidies. Uh, the ratepayers pay for it. So you're paying for really two systems and one is the backup, and that's the reliable one. So, you know, energy is more than just electricity. You know, electricity by itself cannot support the military, the airlines, the cruise ships, the super tankers, the container shipping. Um, you know, nor can electricity alone, especially, <clears throat> yeah, especially the fact that intermittent renewables, they cannot manufacture any of the products that make the medical products we have, the electronics we have, the fertilizer we have, and the thousands of other products that were manufactured from petroleum. Uh, they were non-existent before 1900. And now they're essential to our medical industry, they're essential to our electronics, they're essential to this communication we're having here. And, you know, it's, you know, cooling, heating, um, virtually every aspect of our daily lives is dependent on those products. Yeah, in the book, you make the case that the crude derivatives are the basis for 6,000 products and form a big part of what we take today as a developed country lifestyle. Um, exactly, because uh, before but 1900, you, you know, 1900 you, was a big turning point. We invented the automobile, invented the airplane, and we really found out what we can get out of crude oil. Crude oil is, is basically, there's three fossil fuels. There's coal, natural gas, and crude oil. Coal and <clears throat> natural gas are used for electrical generation. Crude oil is virtually never used for electrical generation. It's used to manufacture something else. And that something else, <clears throat> half of the barrel of crude oil is used to make oil derivatives that makes 6,000 products. Um, Everything in your office, your house, the hospital, I mean, everything you look at is made from oil derivatives. Uh, everything that wind turbines and solar panels, they are made with oil derivatives. You get rid of crude oil and you get rid of the wind turbines and get rid of solar panels. Research, did you find alternatives that are being 
developed that would replace crude derivatives in these areas over time? Well, Rick, we've had over 100 years uh, since we've been developing these, manufacturing these derivatives. And, you know, everything seems to have a, a clone or a, a duplicate manufactured somewhere, but we've been unable to come up with it. I mean, I'm all for getting rid of crude oil, but what's the plan? There's no backup plan. It's like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. And, you know, we basically want to go with electric uh, vehicles, you know, to eliminate pollution. And we're basically chastising crude oil. But electric vehicles, they have limitations. Electrical vehicles, you have to take a look. We got short range and lightweight stuff like cars and trucks. Electrical vehicle batteries uh, might be an appropriate use for that. But when you get to the heavyweight stuff, uh, the long range stuff like airplanes and you know, cruise ships and the military, uh, they're not going to run on batteries. And uh, yeah, like you say, we, we've been trying to replace the derivatives and it's going to be a major lifestyle change to go without crude oil because everybody's going to have to turn in their iPhone and stop zooming. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be a big, big change. So uh, let's be clear on the program. Y you are not anti any any of this. What you are and your co-author trying to do in your book, Clean Energy Exploitation, is just raise the awareness of the people in the developed nations to the impact of some of these initiatives that we may not be seeing on the news or reading about. Right. We, we tend to be agnostic. Um, like I said, we, we don't care which way it goes. Uh, the, there's no silver bullet answers. You know, there's a place for EVs, there's a place for wind, place for solar, place for you know, fossil fuels. And you know, conservation and efficiencies is probably the main driving force of anything uh, to make whatever we have last as long as it can. Uh, but yeah, you know, if you take a look, we talk about those 6,000 products. You know, as late as the 1800s, the world was already decarbonized. And we don't want to go back there because mm. back then there were no coal or natural gas power plants. And with the Beverly Hillbillies situation comedy referred to in the 60s, their theme song, oil that is, black gold, Texas tea. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's been discovered as something that could be manufactured into usable products. And you know, before 1900, life was hard, it was dirty. And most people never traveled more than 200 miles from where they were born. And life expectancy was short, you know, 20 to 30 years old. Then after oil, we created various modes of transportation. We created a medical industry. We created electronics, communications, or reduced infant mortality, extended longevity to now it's like 80 plus. And we gave public the ability to move anywhere in the world via planes, trains, ships, vehicles, and virtually eliminated deaths from most diseases and from most forms of weather. In the richer and wealthier countries, the inventions of the automobile airplane, you know, the use of petroleum in the early 1900s, it led us into the Industrial Revolution and winning World Wars I and II. Hmm. The healthier and wealthier countries of today now have more than 6,000 products that are part of our daily lives that did not exist 
just a few hundred years ago. And today, you know, the world's, you know, heavyweight and long range stuff, uh, like the, the ships and the aviation, they run exclusively on refined oil products. And half the world's food production relies on ammonia fertilizer produced from natural gas. So we can't, uh, you know, just walk away from that. You know, oil, it, yeah, reduced informality and extended longevity. It really allowed the world to populate from 1 billion to its current 8 billion in less than a couple hundred years. And now, now we have 8 billion people. We need to be able to move food and products all over the world to feed them. And we can grow products, you know, in different countries and move to different countries. It's, it's amazing. There's like 56,000 merchant ships moving products all over the world. So I'm talking with Ron Stein, who's the co-author of Clean Energy Exploitations. And we're talking about some of the content that's in his well-researched book. And you maintain in the book that climate change is a global issue and that India and China's negative impact will far outweigh any positive impacts that could be made by the U.S. and the European Union. I'm wondering, does that mean from your perspective that the U.S. and Europe shouldn't try no, I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm just trying to basically make it apparent that, you know, because, you know, 80% of the world is, is living off, you know, $10 a day, they can't subsidize themselves out of a paper bag. But when you take a look at the healthy and wealthy countries like the America, Germany, UK, Australia, they represent about 6% of the world's population. I mean, those countries collectively are like 500 million people versus the 8 billion people in the whole world. And those, those wealthy countries could literally shut down, cease to exist, and the opposite of what you've been told and believe is going to take place. The biggest source of carbon dioxide emissions are in developing countries. You gotta think China, India, Africa. You know, simply put, simply put, and these healthy and wealthy countries, every person, animal, anything that caused emissions, any manufacturing, harmfully rise, could vanish off the face of the earth, even die off and global emissions will still explode in the coming years. China and India, they have populations of roughly 2.7 billion people and most of them are poor. Together, those two countries have already 1,300 coal-fired power plants. And China and India and Indonesia, they're planning on building Another 600, Africa is planning on building 1,200 new coal and gas-fired power plants by 2030. The U.S. and Europe should continue to explore methods to reduce emissions, but recognize that the manufacturing of oil products of the world's infrastructure and its 8 billion are currently indispensable. And efforts to cease the use of crude oil, the only fossil fuel that gets manufactured into usable products could be the greatest threat to a civilization's 8 billion, not climate change. So as we wrap up our conversation today about the research and the work that you and your co-author put into the book, what theme, message, lesson, perspective would you like to leave my audience with based on what you have learned and put together in your latest book, Ron? Well, energy and environmental policies uh, do impose a lot of economic stress 
for energy on billions, uh, especially on low-income and minority communities that can least afford it. The financial racial biasing of climate and environmental policies against the poor residents of the world is unconscionable and it's, it's got to be addressed. The book cover of clean energy exploitation, it, it illustrates you know, how some of these countries are enslaving their people in mines and factories to, to meet our needs. And like I say, that's why we call these uh, blood minerals, it's like blood diamonds. Um, I think the, the message in the book is probably the primary reason it was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. It definitely wasn't English. I'm still trying to master the English language. <laughs> but the message is we want to make this transparent to the public. I mean, if the public is aware of it and they're willing to keep doing that, um, like you say, I'm agnostic. If they're willing to you know, exploit those countries so we can go green, you know, so be it. But uh, I think the less developing countries, uh, they're mining for this stuff and you know, virtually non-existent environmental regulations uh, and so we can decarbonize and move to our all electric society. Uh, the lack of oversight inflicts uh, human atrocities and environmental degradation to their local land that's beyond comprehension. It should be addressed, made transparent to the world. So if someone would like to learn more about the book, learn more about you as its author, where would you direct them online, Ron? Well, my passion is to enhance energy, everyone's energy literacy, so they can talk about it at the dinner table with friends, about the energy issues that are in the newspaper, the TV, and being blasted on social media. Uh, the best way to learn about me and to further enhance their energy literacy is to check out my website. It's energyliteracy.net, energyliteracy.net. Easy access to the three books that Todd Royal and I have written, opt-in articles are link there. My opt-out articles go out weekly and they get exposed to about a half a million people around the world. And uh, easy way to contact me and connect with me and uh, be added to the distribution list. Love to share uh, the energy literacy opt-eds and uh, make them a little bit more apparent. We do put it in layman's terms, no formulas and fancy charts or anything like that, because uh, energy can get complicated very quickly. And so we try and keep it in layman's terms so the average citizen can talk about it with you know, intelligence. Well, I want to thank you for being a longtime friend and guest <laughs> of the program. It's wonderful to have you back on. I'm so happy we were able to talk about your book. And thanks for being a part of our Renaissance Executive Forums community. Thanks, Rick. Have a great day and Happy New Year to you. You as well. I'd like to thank our audience for being a part of Ron's interview today on Orange County's longest running business talk show. Ron's episode was episode number 1,334. If you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, please reach out. I'm Rick R-I-C Franzi, and you can visit my website, same thing, rickfranzi.com. And until the next time we have a chance to meet and be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Mm -hmm.